0: Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to this Captain's Collective podcast series, Behind the Bahamas, where each episode we sit down with guides, lodge owners, and other fishing industry leaders to discuss stories, lessons, and the lore that makes these waters special. This podcast is brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Florida Fishing Products, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. To learn more about our sponsors and to see special content, head to captainscollective.com. When you travel and get outside of your normal zone, you never know who you might bump into and meet. During this trip, I had the opportunity to meet Captain Bruce Chart, who has guided in the Lower Keys and hosted various schools and trips to the Bahamas for over 25 years. In this podcast, we discuss. How Bruce first fell in love with fishing as a child running around after school in Venice, Florida, throwing shrimp at jetties. His story of how a camping trip to Long Key State Park helped spark his decision to be a guide, where two weeks later, he would move his life down to the Keys and pursue his dream. Bruce also shares the importance of understanding your gear and tackle systems and why anglers should invest in destination trips. In this podcast, Bruce also gives the best advice that I've heard so far about coaching and teaching new anglers. We hope that you enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective, behind the Bahamas.
1: Uh, I don't know if I should say they're my sons or
2: my chickens. (laughs) Here we go. Point you out at 11 o'clock so you see him. Say, yeah, the way I talk to you, I sued you down. I like flying cats. I can see the buck fever. I can see the knees like shaking. And I'm always in the back of the air like, control yourself, John.
0: Control yourself. I could see the panic from here. Control yourself. Woosa. <laughs> Woosa.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Felt like I was on top of the world doing my first fly round without having to pay for it. That's a gift I'll never
2: forget because that got me started in a big way. They grew up with, it, with the engine and the car and all that. We grew up with everything else that love for fishing. I used to run away from school just to go fishing. They don't do that these days. They run away to go in the mall. <laughs> yeah. Right to Hurricane Dorian, category five storm hitting the Bahamas, heading for the southeast. One of the strongest Atlantic hurricanes in recorded There was no road to drive because there's water and debris everywhere. I, I jump out of the window at one o'clock at night in the full run of the hurricane. I'm like, I can't sleep in here, not knowing if my family's safe or not. God, and everybody's looking at me like a ghost. They're like, dude, where do you come from in this? I'm like, somebody gave me this house direction, and I know my family's here, and I wasn't stopping until I got here. And sure enough, I got there.
1: Well, hey bruce thanks for making time to come on the podcast and it's been fun hanging out around the lodge here with you the past couple of days and getting the chance to get some casting lessons from you and hear stories from you and and you're very generous with your information i'm really grateful for that and i got a lot of questions for you but before we dive in i'd love just to first hear about your upbringing and how you first fell in love with fishing
2: right on thanks hunter it's been nice to have a little break and the weather towards the negative side so we have some time to do this otherwise you're scrambling you get up in the morning you're you're having (laughs) breakfast you're getting your gear together and out you go and you're going fishing for the day and you get back and having hors d'oeuvres and dinner and next thing you know you're crashing for the next day so this is great we have a little break from the cold front coming through today and uh gives us some time to get together it's been great to spend some time in the backyard casting and now get a chance to talk to you guys so this is this is fun a little idea of, of how my life started out. My, my dad, kind of like the river runs through it, was a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> small to- world. Totally, yeah. And uh, he actually did not like fishing uh, at all. wasn't interested in it. I shouldn't say he didn't like He, he just never had interest in it. And uh, I grew up in Venice, Florida on the west coast and near the intercoastal waterway. And I was, uh, every day after work, school, I would grab my bike and my little shrimp bucket and I'd ride my my bike down to the local jetties and with a couple dozen tramping, go catch some jack crevels or some uh, Spanish mackerel, and sometimes I get lucky and catch a redfish or a little snook or sheephead or something like that. And so I, I did that a lot up until high school, where I uh, I met an elderly man at, at the church that, that I was at who loved to go uh, light tackle fishing for pompano with sand fleas on the beach, and I didn't even know this existed. So he he introduced us. He was about seventy at the time, I owned a cigar. Uh, a cigar shop, and he had these giant cigars every day while we were fishing. It was really cool. So, <laughs> he took me to Kmart, and we got a little fanny pack, and we went out with a colander and scooped up our own little sand fleas, and went out with our little ultralight gear. And he showed me how to fish right in the in the um, right off the beach. And I caught my first permit that way in some pompano and whiting, and, wow. and actually some snook and redfish. So that was really cool. So how that kinda, old? How old were you? I was 14 okay. when I started doing that and that was my first first real introduction to what i would say like real fishing right mm-hmm. and that kind of got me going i really loved it and then once i graduated from high school i kind of had this all through high school i kind of had this feeling like oh man it would be really cool to try fly fishing it'd be really cool to try fly fishing so mm-hmm. i uh, went uh, as soon as i graduated I, I i went to the local fly shop and i got me a nice little cortland nine weight xp and i actually still have it it's an awesome rod still and uh, a little Fluger medalist and and uh, paid 12 bucks for three flies and said man i gotta change that so uh, yeah i got into fly tying right away at the local fly shop and uh on tuesday nights and uh, met a bunch of the guys there and actually still have my my 1st longtime best friend in the fly fishing world he shot me how to cast and took me red fishing tail and red fishing and kayak up in, in perico bayou up in Bradenton, off sarasota area so i grew up in that area there and uh, really enjoyed it a lot and i knew um right out of high school i got a job working for leona holmsley at, at the uh, Harley Sandcastle Resort in Lido Beach in Sarasota, and I would see the guys tarpon fishing out front on the beach every morning, and I kind of got pretty uh, excited about that, and I started to meet some of the guides at the fly time, um at the fly shop at the local fly time um, night twos every Tuesday night, and kind of got the gist for what what life being guide would be like, mm-hmm. and um, I also at that point point of my life um, right out of high school that first summer after I graduated in '92. I uh, started doing a lot of nighttime snook fishing, and, and in Venice, there at the time, there were a lot of articles in fly fish magazines at the time that called it Snook Alley. There were a lot of nighttime snook lights on everybody's dock lights, so I would go out every night and fish till three or four in the morning mm-hmm. uh, for nighttime snook, and that was really, really cool. And I enjoyed doing that. And I said, "Man, I, I want to do this. I want to be—I think I want to be a guide." I wasn't going to be. A, I didn't want to go to college because I didn't wasn't a big fan of sitting in the classroom and learning stuff. I was always uh, get outside and go do it kind of mm-hmm. guy. And I'm like, man, I'm going to give this a shot. And one time my buddy said, hey, man, come, come down with me to the Keys. Let's go check it out. So we went to the Keys and camped out on Long Key State Park, which is right on one of the most famous bonefish flats in all the Keys. And there were giant bonefish there waiting for us tailing right when we, we were setting up our tent. We couldn't even get, get our rod out of the truck fast enough and ended up having an amazing trip. And I just I said, I got to I got to get down here. So wow. I. Um, i uh, went for a drive down to key west from long key one night to go just check out key west and drove by big pine key in the lower florida keys and there was a for rent sign out there and it was just meant to meant to be because mm-hmm. i just pulled in and i go hey how much is rent here and it was this beautiful little apartment under this house that was overlooking the bay with sunset right through the front door and i'm going this is unbelievable right and it was approximately how much i was paying rent up in sarasota so i said i'm i'm doing it so two weeks later i moved down wow and i actually even within four months of being in the keys i actually ended up running my first charter and and started off working at a fly shop down there in marathon uh, called Blanco outfitters and um, i worked there for about three years as i as i guided on my days off and then i worked in the shop so i got to really get introduced to the local fly fishing reps Mm -hmm. for the southeast they would all come in uh, the rod and reel reps and everybody from the industry would come in and i get to meet them and then i was since i was in the shop uh, i was communicating with the uh, manufacturers quite a bit uh, on selling product and what products are coming out and questions and this and that so i got to know people on the phone Mm -hmm. and then that led to uh, me meeting a guy by the name of jake jordan who ended up becoming a really good buddy of mine who did a lot of fishing shows and was also tied within the industry pretty good and uh, he took me under his wing a little bit right away and took me to the, some of the fishing shows with him. And I got to meet, uh, you know, guys like uh, Steve and Tim Ray Jeff and Gary Loomis and Jim Teeney. We went to Loomis Factory when I was 18. It was amazing to get introduced and thrown right in the mix uh, wow. to all the whole uh, industry right away. And uh, ever since then, I've been going to the International Fly Tackle Dealer Show. Um, the first time I ever went was in Denver in 93, I think. And it was it was unbelievable how many people were there, how packed it was. You couldn't even walk down. It took you an hour and a half to go get a hot dog mm-hmm. from the booth because you couldn't even weave your way through all the people. It was unbelievable. It hasn't been like that in a long time. So to be a part of that, I think a lot of that had to do with the River Runs Through It movie coming out. It was really mm-hmm. big then, and the flight industry was really going big time. But, um, yes, yeah, so I started doing a lot of sportsman shows as well with Jake um, where I would travel with him to Portland, Oregon, Denver. we go to Dallas. we go to Seattle. Um, and all these places to do fishing shows and I got to meet guys like Jim Tini and like I said Steve and Tim Ray Jeff and all the people that were uh, Jack Dennis and Jeff Currier. I mean, the, one of the coolest things, one of the first shows I ever went to was up in Seattle and and uh, on the right there was this young kid that was just a couple years older than I am and he was sitting there painting pictures of beautiful fish and I'm like wow hey who are you man we started talking, hanging out, started going fishing it was Jeff Courier. Uh. So, like, <laughs> like thirty years ago, I met Jeff. We were in a fishing show, and we've we've been able to grow in the industry uh, together since then. And then on the, in the other booth next to me on the other side, was Brad Beefus, who wrote Pike on a Fly with with uh, Barry Reynolds, and who uh, book, a popular book at the time, and also um, he uh, he wrote a um, Pike book and a cart book. And so he was pretty popular. He was there doing presentations and stuff with a, with a fly shop that he used to own, Front Range Anglers in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And now he's the president of Scientific Anglers Lines. So like, both those guys are on either side of me, and we've been buddies this whole time and grown yeah. together. So it's really cool to have connections from so long in the industry and, and um, watching everybody as they go through all the years and all the changes that they go through. It's, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, what an incredible five years to move down to the Keys, see Tail and Bonefish. All right, this is what I want to do. You get an apartment. You get a job. The job opens up. All these things, um, all these doors and opportunities to learn and grow. And now you're you're at a part where, in your career, where you're getting to give back and educate. And that's a big passion for you. Early on, when all that was happening, did you realize the opportunities you were getting or did it just kind of happen? I mean,
2: both, both. So, uh, I got bit really hard after that first trip to the keys. And Mm -hmm. once I moved to the keys and started working in the fly shop and was like every day, my life was fly fishing, whether it was fishing or selling people, fly gear, rigging them up with backing or tying flies for them or ordering material and stuff for the fly shop. Everything I did, uh, right out of the gate 18 right out of high school practically was just i was just loving it it was mm-hmm. everything was everything i could have ever possibly wanted right and and i was so addicted to the fly fly uh fly fishing industry and fly rod and fishing it was all so new and so exciting to me all day long i just loved it so i i ran with it hard and and, and there's parts of me that look back now and go wow i didn't even realize you know what was happening to me but then mm-hmm. on the other hand when I was doing it I'm like hell yeah this is yeah. great I want to do this I want to do that yeah let's do this so I, I learned early I was lucky that relationships are, are everything and mm-hmm. people uh, who you know get you where you want to go right and so I met the Jake Jordan who was uh, very heavy in the industry and, and fly fishing show so he introduced me to all the shows and everything that was great and one other thing he, he uh, kicked me off on was he started taking me to as a guest instructor uh, and his bonefish school in Great Exuma at Bob Hyde's uh, Peace and Plenty Bonefish Lodge. And I would go down there and help him teach the school for a couple of year, uh, couple of days. And then I'd have the rest of the trip to um, four or five days of fishing to go fishing on my own, go fishing with the clients. And, you know, Steve Rayjeff was also uh, another uh, instructor that came. So I got to know Steve on a personal level, mm-hmm. which was really cool to be at such a young young age. So I learned from watching him teach people and also, Jamie Dickinson, who was a Loomis rep at the time um, for the Southeast, he, he was an instructor as well. Tony Weaver, who's a Loomis rep of, of uh, Alaska at the time in the north, Northwest, so uh, meeting these guys that were already certified casting instructors, they were heavy in the FFF, and they were also teaching a lot, really introduced me to uh, the desire to want to teach as well mm-hmm. because i had a experience in it right away and and seeing some of the best in the industry teach it was very intriguing so um by the time i was uh, 20 i uh, i studied hard to get my uh, basic certified casting instructor license mm-hmm. and then by the time i was 23 i was apparently at the time the second youngest ever master certified casting instructor at 23 years old so mm-hmm. i have really um taken the uh the instructional and and um side of like fly, fly fishing to another level i think and and especially in my career I, and i love it i think mm-hmm. it's paid benefit for me in many different ways uh, all along and uh i started when i was um 25 doing my own hosted uh, bonefish trips to the bahamas and ever since then i've done an average of anywhere from three to eight uh week-long trips hosted trips slash fly fishing schools mm-hmm. uh, in the bahamas all over the bahamas ranging from Crooked Island to um, the Epico over to uh, South Andros, North Andros. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, uh, for sure. And uh, that's what I'm doing here now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and what a cool way. I mean, so, you know, when Chad and I were set up to come, you know, Kyle was like, you and Bruce need to get together and, and do a podcast. And really, the idea behind the podcast series was to try to show it's, it's the Behind the Bahamas series and to try to show kind of some of the people and places behind the Bahamas that really make it work and make it what it is. And it's neat because I wasn't expecting to get the angle coming in on somebody who loves the Bahamas and has made a big part of their job and what they do to do these hosted trips. And in the fishing world, not just the fly fishing world, hosted trips are huge. You know, you build up your clientele, you got people who trust you, who want to travel with you, and you take care of them. I'd love to hear, um, just a bit more about like your business now today. And I know you get to work with your son, which is really neat. I just kind of hear about what you're doing now. Fast forward, you know, 25 <laughs> plus years from tailing bonefish and in an apartment in the keys. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> well, of course I met my wife in the keys and, um, got married and, uh, had a son in 1998 and he was born in Key West and, uh, He started guiding when he was 18 as well. So this will be his sixth season coming up this year already. Time flies, holy smokes. But he's incorporated with me on the instructional side of things and does a lot of the schools and travels around the world with me as well. He's fishing in seven different countries already wow. <laughs> at 23 years old. So he's got tons of experience already, and, and he's done a great job. He's a great person. I couldn't be more proud of him. So, and it's been super fun working with him. You know, father-son deal is great. We've been written up in numerous articles and um, magazines and such and a lot of press over the years, so it's, it's been fun to do that as well. But now that I'm reaching over 700 days of fishing in the Bahamas um, on this trip, in my life, I, I really have come to the point where I, of course my real love is, is guiding in the Keys and, and fishing in the Florida Keys but the, the Bahamas, you know, everybody asks me all the time, hey, Bruce, what's your favorite fishing man? Like, what do you like the best? And I and I never really could answer that with a straight answer like a definite one one thing I was like, I like it all, I've been always been very general but I think in the last year I've, I've come to the conclusion that from now on I know deep down in my soul in my heart that if I had one last fishing trip I were to do, it would be barefoot, ankle-deep, wading, white sandbar flats in the Bahamas for bones. Like, it's like, you can't beat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, bone fishing, to me, is, is super fun. and That's why I do a lot of the schools here in the Bahamas, because the fishing is so good. You get lots of opportunity to gain lots of experience in a short amount of time. A lot of the areas around the world, you don't get that as much, right? So in the Bahamas, I think it's clearly probably some of the best bone fishing in the world um uh for many reasons but mostly uh you get lots of opportunities if you script and you hit them in the back of the head a lot of times they'll turn around and still eat it Mm -hmm. so if you do things right most of the time you're going to get rewarded but also if you don't then you won't so there's still that factor that you still kind of need to be good enough or have enough practice get get things to do it right so you Mm -hmm. you can achieve um your goals that way, but gaining lots of experience quickly here is, is why it's, uh, I think, one of the best destinations to to host a school uh, so people can gain experience along with what they just learned right away, where a lot of other places, like in the Keys, you might not have uh, fish or as many shots, the, and you don't have fish that are necessarily resilient to different weather conditions like they are here. So like today, we're, we're, uh, we're blown out because we can't get on the water because we'd sink <laughs> getting in a flat boat Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's, it's not blowing a, like 35. It's not preferential, it's but, safety. But I bet you that if we were to be able to get to a flat somewhere that there's a good chance we might see some fish. Maybe mm. not a lot, right, because of the weather conditions, but still some. And, and you don't have that... Uh, that option, uh, on beautiful white sand flats and barefoot mm. wading in very many places. So this is a truly one of the most favorite places in, in my heart in my life is, is fishing in the Bahamas. And I actually plan on doing a lot more than I ever have here in the next five years in the Bahamas. Mm. So I'm excited.
1: Yeah, no. And I, I and, you know, on the education piece, I think that's something that a lot of people, um, whether it's fly fishing or fishing in general, they want to learn and you can go, hey, here's a book, hey, here's a video series. You can say, hey, go figure it out on your own. And none of those things are bad. But there is something special, even we were talking about with casting, just having you be able to look at what I'm doing and then ask me a question and then, formulate a response based off of watching me and then asking me what do you think is happening or why do you think it's that way that personalized coaching obviously everybody knows this you you know nba coaches don't coach their nba teams and say hey here's some dvds go ahead and watch these Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's one-on-one instruction
2: yeah well one of the main goals with the school is to introduce as much information as i can to the anglers Mm -hmm. uh we take the first day off and we cover everything from fly rods to reels and how they work, fly lines, how they taper, how the leaders work, um, the different flies and what materials around the flies and the size hooks and how that works, uh, and different water depths and different um, water current speeds and stuff like that. So, I give a pretty broad, basic base knowledge of everything. And then we do some, a lot of casting. Um, there's a lot of uh, etiquette breakdown. We do uh, a lot of uh, in boat uh, ready position work and how, to, how much line to have off the reel and how to have. a line buddy and maintain the line for your friend and how to do it by yourself how to wade how to hold the line i mean we cover everything um with a basic introduction to almost everything you need and then we do in the evenings after we have dinner we'll do a leader night and we'll build leaders and we'll do a knot night and we'll tie different knots one night and then we'll do a fly tying night and the guys can learn many guys have tied their first flies Uh, with me in the schools and then they're so excited about they they're geeked up they we tie one right on at you know 10 o'clock at night we'll go go out in the dark and tie one on his rod for the next morning he's so excited to go I mean he'll catch one on the first fly he ever tied so he's it's it's really great but the the, um I I love that aspect of uh, aspect of taking the first day off introducing everything and then when they go out the next day to go fishing Everybody has questions, right? Hey man, I remember you, you taught me yesterday about how to strip set on that fish, that was great, but he came right at me and he came really fast and I couldn't, you know, stay tight. So what do you do then? So almost always there's questions mm-hmm. that every day that are fresh in everybody's mind. And we can go and work on it right away on the beach if it's a casting question or whatever, and I can address anything they have right then and there. And then they can apply that to everything that they've learned already. And it keeps rolling every day and allows them to be able to get questions answered right mm-hmm. away. And a lot of times I go fishing with the anglers as well, and you know people learn in different ways. Uh, you can, like you said, you can read a book and learn that way, and, and I can demonstrate uh, casting on the beach and stuff like that. But I've never seen reactions like I have from people when I'm on the boat with them, and they actually watch me fish, like they watch me fish, see the fish, communicate with the guide knife out a cast at 60 feet real quick into the wind, lay it out straight, strip right away, here he comes, boom, got him on right away, clear him on the reel, here we go. And then they're, they're literally awestruck, awestruck because mm-hmm. they have no idea that you can cast that quickly with that much line speed and get the line out there real quick and put the rod thing. You know, you've told them, and they've read it in a book or whatever. Now when they see it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge transformation. And basically what happens is, you know, a lot of guys will be able to come to the school, gain enough experience in one week, that will save them years and years of hard learning over the years. They're introduced to everything right away. And especially if they get a chance to fish with me and watch, uh, it's just, it's a, it's extremely valuable additive to a trip, uh, and and it will keep paying off for forever as long as you keep fishing.
1: Yeah. And well, you know, I think that it's, there's no doubt that being on the boat with somebody more experienced is an incredible way to learn probably the best way to learn because it's time on the water which everybody says everyone's got to get time on the water but it's just like golf or anything you could be practicing the wrong way you could be doing the wrong things and so time on the water with people who are ahead of you that can say hey you know here's how i strip set or here's here's how i would read this fish you know look at these fish here's A lot of people, when they first start fishing, they, you know, you say that's nervous water and it takes them a minute to like understand what nervous water is. You know, there's no doubt, like when you're on the boat with somebody though, let's just say that me and you are going out today. What types of things are you going to do on the boat to try to help a new angler understand what's going
2: on? Well, that's such a broad question to answer because there's literally, in my mind, probably uh, aspects that we could talk about on every level. Like, even just the basic, simple thing of being in the ready position on the boat and actually understanding the clock system on the real boat mm-hmm. is uh, can cause a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, course. like, uh, a lot of guys will think, a lot of guides will think that, that uh, when you're standing on the bow three o'clock would be off to the angler's right, where literally if the boat is the clock itself, then the three o'clock is off the center line of the boat itself. Mm -hmm. So just that little bit right there uh, can save a lot of hassle on trying to find a fish quickly, right? So, I mean, we're talking about pointing the rod at the fish or at the distance that the guide says where they are and moving your rod slowly and smoothly to the left or to the right to find the fish versus skipping to the right or to the left. That seems to be mm. a common thing where a lot of people will point the rod. Hey, hey man, I got a fish at 10 o'clock, 50 feet. And so you point your rod at 10 o'clock, 50 feet and the angler will go or the guide will go a little more to the left and you, you bump to the left versus move smoothly and you pass the fish and now you're to the left or right, but you're too, now too far left. You go no, back to the right and you bump back to the right and you keep passing the fish where if you move nice and smooth and slowly and then he can say all right stop right there and help you pick up the fish right away mm-hmm. so things like that and then explaining how to actually scan for the fish i mean do we have enough time for yeah <laughs> no, this is going. good yeah oh but we could go on forever but so like uh when when the when the guide says hey 10 o'clock 50 feet uh, are you really trying to find a fish at 10 o'clock 50 feet or are you trying to burn one into the bottom and make one there right where you're looking Because i've seen that two guys get super hyper focused on one spot right where their rod tip's looking and the fish is literally just three feet to the right of where they're looking but they're so keyed in on one little spot that they'll miss the seeing the fish just right there so you got to scan to the right scan to the left scan a little farther and scan a little shorter and you're going to look for the three things you're going to look for color shape and movement all of which will hopefully uh, put the fish into view for you and then once you see the fish the odds of you catching the fish, they, as long as the angler can see it uh, go through the roof when you have that um, mm-hmm. come together. Where a lot of times, especially bonefish, and it's hard, if, especially if you're a beginner, it's hard to uh, uh, get used to seeing the bonefish, especially if there's a little cloud cover or whatever. They're hard to see, man. They're, mm-hmm. they're the ghost of the flat for a reason. They blend right in like a chameleon. So, lighter color bottoms of fish are lighter colored. If you don't have much sunlight to throw a shadow, they're gonna be really hard to see. Then they get really close, and then when you're really close, you have to take a really quick cast, and you don't have that much time and space to work with sometimes to read and react that quickly, So, especially at a beginning level. So, oh, there's a, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. But then <clears throat> just how you hold your fly line, um, how you uh, make sure you maintain your fly line all the time, especially if it's windy or even more, especially if you have a line buddy who's supposed to be watching for you, falling asleep, putting his Coke can down on the on the uh, on your line and the deck or his foot he's not paying attention when the fish is there and the guide calls it out he wants to look too so he's looking to stand on your line you go to take a shot and you miss it because he's standing on your line mm-hmm. so you gotta almost have to maintain your fishing buddy too it's almost double time so uh just line maintenance is huge having enough line off the reel so when you make your cast you don't have less than four or five feet of line there because if it's windy and you're throwing a downwind cast uh, the wind will blow the line off the front of the boat as you're starting to strip. It's mm-hmm. not anchored anywhere, right? So if you strip only 60 feet of line off the reel and you make a 54 foot cast and you only have six feet left and you start to strip, uh, the line's getting blown off and over the side of the boat. Meanwhile, your line buddies on his, all fours on his knees under your, uh, under your legs trying to grab the fly line as you're stripping it and the wind's blowing it away and he's underneath you're hitting him in the head with your hand while you're trying to strip it and there's just no need for any of that so mm-hmm. strip off a bunch more line have, let him stay anchored with it in the cockpit so even though you might only can cast 60 feet comfortably have 80 feet of line off the mm-hmm. reel and everybody's like oh my gosh i don't want to have more line off the reel than i need to because i don't want it to tangle well if your line buddy's there he can help you maintain it make sure it's stretched and it's not coil i mean it's <laughs> we can i mean just a simple little thing as the ready position we could talk for an hour on all the different things that make all the difference in the world every little step along the way
1: and the things that you can control you know control them and i think that's a i think that's a challenging thing that you know with you know for instance trying to you know stretch out your line so it doesn't have memory because that's a little thing that you can do that makes you more likely to it's going to make your cast better it's going to make you more likely to be able to clear your line well less knots so when you finally hook the bonefish or whatever it's not knotted up hitting your guides Mm -hmm. becoming a disaster you know all those little things trying to teach people that though can be overwhelming but i've noticed that with the things that we've talked about it's always like you've always kind of Prepackaged it to some extent. Here's the four things. Here's the three things you look for for the fish. You look for movement, color. What was the third one? Movement, color. Shape. Shape, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, a lot of people are looking for a fish, you know, and they're right. like, well, I'm looking for a fish and it's, A lot you know. of people
2: don't know what a fish looks like until they see it for the first time too, yeah. right? Or even maybe the <laughs> fifth or eighth time because yeah. it's there and they still can't see it, right? So fish are, have a very distinctive shape. Usually they're straight. They're mm-hmm. very straight. have a very straight shape and they move. Uh, sharks kind of zigzag like a snake, so and they have a, usually a darker color combo, right? So once you get the color combo down and the shape and the size that you're looking for and then add a little movement to it, you will start to be able to gain experience in how to find fish. And that's what makes this a lot of fun, too, is that you're hunting, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're hunting. It's not it's not like you're in the deep water where you're deep dropping down below where you really can't see what's going on most of the time. So flats fishing inter- introducing the uh the ability to see the fish just brings out a whole nother world plus it's i don't know if i've ever fished anywhere that wasn't just absolutely beautiful right mm-hmm. like i mean all the places we choose to go fishing is just gorgeous right beautiful mountains for trout or in the flats for the salt for bones permit I mean, anywhere it's just beautiful to be out on the water and see the nature absolutely sure, so oh
1: it's it's amazing here i'm, I'm curious too like so you know I, I interviewed the first interview i ever did was harry spear and he talked about a great guide or a great angler. You know, it's like a pie chart. And in his opinion, the smallest slices are really the ones that make the biggest separations. You know, everybody wants to focus on the big. So an example would be like, you know, distance. Everybody wants the bomb shots, bomb shots, bomb shots. And then you've talked about, but not as many people pay as much attention about the leader laying out right. So because it's easy for that's a big slice, smaller slice or seemingly smaller slice, I should say, would be that leader laying out. When it comes to fishing, what do you feel like are the, the very important but overlooked smaller pieces and smaller just by attention, not by significance?
2: Well, I, I think uh, the understanding a, a fly angler has to become a complete angler is, uh, is important. What I mean by that is understanding flies is very key even though you put a lot of trust in your guide to know what flies are best and why um, it's also good to pay attention to that and learn about that as to why and then if you're not a tire understanding at least what the fly looks like and how much weight is on it and uh, whether the gap's filled with material or not um, so gap gap space to me personally is, is, is big also uh, Understanding what the material is. is it, Does it float? Does it sink? Is it going to make a heavier plop? So you need to open up your cast and let it land a little softer depending on the angle that you're casting on um, Shallow how shallow the water is how close you need to throw to the fish. There's a lot of different um, Factors when it comes to just flies alone that I think uh, You might not get a lot of that information from from your guides all the time. So having Especially if you travel a lot internationally, like uh, Mexico and Belize and all that stuff. A lot of times you have to bring all your own gear and all your own flies. And so to have a good idea before you go as to what, you, what conditions you're going to have and what flies to have in the box are going to be key. Also, your, your leader, uh, your whole system, your whole casting system, the, the combination of the rod and the line and the leader, because it's really important with this fishery that your line, leader and fly lay out straight every time or as close to it as possible. Uh, almost everybody has a little bit of slack right away when their line is presented in the water. But to keep slack out of both your false casts and your presentation is uh, really, really important. And it allows you to stay connected to the fly the second you present it. Once mm-hmm. you make your final presentation into the water with your fly, uh, you want to be able to. The first thing you need to do every time, no matter what, no guide should ever have to tell you this ever again after hearing this, is that your job is to come tight to that fly immediately. So whatever you got to do, your situational awareness is key. You need to know if you're making a downwind cast in a heavy wind day with the boat moving. Because uh, the boat's moving at you right when your fly hits the water, you're slack entering the system immediately. So if you want to move the fly slowly, you might have to strip quickly, mm-hmm. just to even stay tight, let alone to move it, because the boat's bringing slack in the system. Then you throw into the fact that... Maybe you threw in a current as well. So then you got a double slack entering the system. So you got slack from the fly hitting the water, you got slack from the boat moving down on you, and you got slack from the water coming at you. All of which could potentially, if you have too much slack on your original presentation, could deny your whole ability to even come tight to the fly until it's too late. Mm-hmm. So you need to have that line leader and fly uh, layout straight. So your leader combination. Along with your fly line set up with, with what rod you have, it needs to be, you need to be very comfortable with it, and it needs to be automatic because we're sight fishing, and sight fishing is key to stay visually connected to the fish all the time, and everything else ideally needs to be automatic. So you can't be in the middle of a cast to a fish where you don't have much time. you got to make short false casts and get the line out there real quick, real quick before he sees you. And you can't be focusing on whether you have a nice tight loop or whether your back cast is laying out straight or, <laughs> or yeah. whatever. You, 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 that needs to be automatic. Ideally, that needs mm-hmm. to be automatic uh, to uh, be able to take advantage of uh, a lot of the opportunities that you have.
1: What What's your, like, for somebody who wants to improve at casting, you know, how much time do you, do you recommend? How, the frequency, the environment, what are some things that, how, how do you make the most out of your practice casting
2: well uh that's a good question and what i like to recommend to my guys is uh try not to cast to the moon right away most shots and are within 50 feet so if you can make a 50 foot cast with a straight leader uh both on your backhand cast side you know drop a back cast to say two or three o'clock if you're right-handed caster on the boat or um and then be able to be flexible with your backhand presentation and your forehand presentation and do it quickly quickly within um 50 feet and get the layout straight you're going to be able to take advantage of like 80 85 percent of all your opportunities right you don't you do not need to be super caster bomber right but once you get that dialed in being able to cast six or 70 feet will be a lot easier for you so a lot of people like to dump all their whole fly line off the reel and start wailing on this thing and casting as far as you can before they even learn how to you know, form a tight loop. So being able to form loop, uh, loops that you want, the size loops that you want uh, when you want to do that is I think a big part of becoming a true fly caster. And that takes tons of practice. Time, dedication, devotion, everything. You can't just write a check for your flat rod and then be able to cast it, which is actually what makes it really cool. So once you can cast and have control over the line in the air, then you're going to be and to form the size loops that you want. You're going to be able to get automatic distance and accuracy, and you'll be able to lay that line later and fly out uh, pretty straight. So what I like to recommend is, guys, to just focus on stripping out 20 or 30 feet of line. That's it. And just make short casts, try to form nice, tight loops, and get the line to lay out straight in the yard. And as you lay it out, you want to have your line hand laying the line in your right rod stripping finger. All in one motion and putting the rod tip down in the water because the distance that your rod tip is from the surface of the water is how much slack you still have in the system. So, if you make a great cast and the line lays out straight but you don't put your rod tip in the water right away and it's two feet above the water, you still have two feet of slack in the system. Mm-hmm. You can put that rod tip in the water, you don't have to jam it way down in the water, just right close or near or in the water surface right there is really good. That allows you to stay straight. And then you're going to strip right away, get all the slack out of the system, and come tight to the fly. You got to feel. The fly. You have to feel it. And it's gonna feel different when there's slack entering the system from the boat moving or the current moving or whatever. Or vice versa, it's gonna feel real tight if you threw into the wind and the wind's blowing the boat away from you. So you have to strip even slower than you normally would because you're you're dragging the fly even faster because the boat's moving away from you. So your situational awareness is really key along with all that. So you can see how much you gotta pay attention to. Yeah. And you don't have time to focus on casting. So if you can do this in the yard, as best you can and get really comfortable the more you do it the better you will everybody that comes on the Bahama trips they fish the best they do on the, on the last day they're fishing because mm-hmm. they've been casting every day all day long they've been fishing and I, I tell everybody hey go hey guys you see how good you guys are doing today and they're like yeah i go imagine if you did this six days before you came it'd be like you've been here for two weeks yeah. i go oh my gosh what, what if you did this for a whole month before you came like mm-hmm come home after work grab a coffee or cocktail or whatever have a cigar and go out in your backyard for 15 minutes and cast it'll pay huge dividends so Mm -hmm. you're going to get out of it what you put into it and you know what it's all good nobody cares how many fish you catch other than yourself and when you start having issues of how many fish you catch then you have to think if this is the sport for you or you better get on your horse and cowboy up yeah and start practicing and get to a point of competency because once you get to a point of competency you don't have to cast every day. But you got to work hard to get to that point. You do. Well,
1: I, I feel like one of the things, too, that can kind of motivate motivate me, and I'm trying to work on this, is you on day one you blow some, some shots, and then you're like, now your situational awareness is going to be higher because you're thinking, ah, you know, why wasn't I paying more attention to that? Why was I not as present as I wanted to be? And then you kind of snap in. So trying to also get to a point where your mentality is you're coming in really sharp and I'm sure casting right before the trip pretty in- intentionally will help you come in more intentional at the gate instead of sometimes coming in and being like excited and oh stay one, you don't feel as much pressure. And then, you know, the last day of the trip, you feel a lot of pressure. You're like, man, I, you know, that pressure can create a increased <laughs> sure. situational awareness. Cause sure. you're like, oh, I really want to catch more fish. But you know, I think too, you know, it's, 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 getting some time with you today which which was a real treat for me just to be able to work on my casting with you is it's you don't have a harsh tone it's kind of like you know it's very it's very hey this is this is how i would do it you don't have to do it everyone has different strokes here's here's why this would help this is why this is happening mechanically you know you can do it how you want but here's what's actually going to move the line the best way in the wind etc i think your your style is really easy to listen to and comprehend and it well, we just want to have fun and
2: help. So, like, why not, right? There's yeah, like no but it invites
1: to... conversation, which allows you, you. Hey, do you have questions? Yeah, I do have a question. Why would I want that? Why would I want it to have a wedge loop? And you're like, for the most part, you probably don't care. You know, <laughs> right? Like, so, yeah. and those are types of things where you know you might be reading a book and you're reading eight pages on wedge loops, and you're <laughs> you still don't know.
2: Yeah. There why do I need to know that?
1: And so that, I think that's a really fun part in. You know, I think for people to invest in, in, that, in their own development, I think that's the fun part, right? You fly fish because you like the challenge because it gives you something to learn, something to do, something to...
2: Absolutely. And you, it never ends, no matter what level you get at, right? Because there's always a challenge, even if you're the most experienced. I mean, it's really hard for anglers that have a lot of experience. So it's, it's hard for everybody at different times, right? So maybe a guy with more experience can make a cast to a certain fish. Uh, easier, right? But for the most part, there's always challenge for yeah. anybody all the time, and that's what's really cool. Do you
1: think as a teacher, like looking back at your early years, what were those formative things for you that kind of said, now that you're in a situation where, you know, you're a certified casting instructor, you've been guiding for, what, 30 years now? Since 92, yeah. Since 92. You've, you've fished 700 days in the Bahamas. So now you're at a point where, you know, a lot of people are coming to you asking for teaching asking for coaching paying for classes yeah I actually
2: do I do uh I do hosted trips for uh individuals too like I I, uh a lot of times guys will call me up and want to go and learn how to do this but they want to do it on their own so like just I'll go with them him Mm -hmm. and I will go on a trip to the Bahamas and we'll do an individual school I've done family schools where guys want to teach their daughters and their their sons and their fiancés and couples and stuff that want to go and I've done six or eight family Family, people together, and so I do all kinds of schools and trips. I customize any trip for mm-hmm. anybody that wants to go, um, and that's been a lot of fun. I, I really, I really love the teaching aspect of it and watching everybody improve. And what's really interesting is watching how a lot of the people that I work with they take it to the next step because they learn that that's important. And the next time they come back and they go fishing with me again, they're like, "Wow, dude! Hey." check this fly I tied or check out this leader I tied. Right. And all these things are, are great because now they're getting into it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I can't hold their hand forever. I mean, unless they want me to, but for the most part, it's it's good for everybody to branch out and, and try new things and learn from other people too. Right. Learn a little bit from me, learn a little bit from this guy, read an article here. And that's what makes you the angler you are. And uh, watching everybody grow over the years has been, it's been great.
1: How, how do you, try to stoke a fire like even thinking about your own son but you know you realize that people are going to evolve and grow and have different ways that they want to learn and go through different seasons where maybe they're drawn to different aspects or different things how do you try to as an educator try to keep people interested and try to keep that going
2: Well, i've always been a guy that's it's it's not my way or the highway where i've noticed a lot of people uh in books and stuff say that this is how you need to do it but i i think if you can stand on your head and duct tape the rod to your big toe and make great casts then we high five buddy let's go right let's Mm -hmm. go fish and have some fun it's it's all good it doesn't matter how you do it and if you have questions i'm happy to share information with you that i've found that works really good and if i'd love to hear any feedback you have and from anybody else you've learned too because i want to learn too constantly and Mm -hmm. i still learn a lot all the time so i know there's more than one way to skin a cat so to be able to see that people can take information from other people as well and along with me and put it all together. It's very satisfying.
1: So why do you think that outside of fishing with guides who are able to educate, but just on the face level of putting yourself in different scenarios, let's talk about from a geological standpoint, going to new fisheries, new places, how does that help anglers?
2: Well, I think the one thing that helps anglers is just getting out on the water, no matter where they are. All right, getting a rod in their hand, even if they're casting in their backyard, all that can help big time. But the the awe of going to a new place, right? So like, if you don't like looking forward to the trip, getting ready to pack, no one likes sitting on hold for the airlines for hours to try to book a trip or something like that but i mean you know what i mean like looking forward to the trip going to the local fly shop or ordering stuff online to get to 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 get ready for your trip and going to a new destination where there's new water it's just nothing but new sensory overload all the time and i think along with that and then you factor in the fact when you actually get on the boat and go fishing and and see the different waters and see the different fish it's amazing so like this is my first trip to the Berry Islands. I've been dying to go to the Berry Islands for years, right? So when my buddy Kyle said he's opening a lot here, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm coming. So this this island is completely different than any other Bahamian island I've ever been to. It's, it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the elevation. I love the cool housing. Everything here about this island is really cool. I'll definitely be back for sure. But I've never experienced anything like this. So I was dying just to see the island, let alone the flats and the mm-hmm. fishery, right? let alone the, the great permit fishery and great bonefish that they have here and, and everything. So just for me, just to speak about myself, I'm sure flows in with everybody else is the ability to have the excitement of going to a new spot is, is huge. It's a great part of the trip for sure.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, for me, it's kind of fun because, you know, we're recording this podcast series and this is my first t- time fishing in the Bahamas. And, um, you know, I come to this lodge and I have we have Percy here. We got Travis and Freddie. So we got some great guides around. Yeah. We got Kyle, who I love, Kyle, and I've learned a ton from Kyle the past three years. You're here staying at the lodge. So now I'm basically getting built in fly casting lessons, figuring out all my issues. Well, this is how it works, man. This is how
2: it all rolls out. So you ready for this one? So I met Kyle like four years ago in Dubai. I met him for the first time in Dubai. He was going fishing in Yemen for a permit. And I was just coming back from the Seychelles. So we hung out. And the first night was really cool to meet him. So I kept in touch with him. And he told me he was a um, uh, managing at the Bears Lodge in South Anderson. I go, well, dude, uh, I'm going to be there for three weeks next month. And he's like, oh, my gosh, no way. You're coming. Oh, you're the Bruce Jarrett. And we put it all together. And I'm like, all right, we'll see you soon. So then I hung out with him in the Bahamas down there. And then... Um, A year later, he was guiding in Pira uh, in Argentina for Golden Dorado. So my wife and my son and I went down there to go check out that uh, fishery down there, which was utterly amazing. And Kyle guided us down there, so I got to fish with him there. And then we went to Maine and went striper fishing with him. He pulled us around on the flats and sight cast the stripers. And here he is now owning the lodge in the Bahamas. So, like... It's just unbelievable. I've, I've known the guy for four years. We've been in three different countries, and <laughs> it's just really great. It's so, been a good run. Yeah, that's how it pulls it together. It's really cool. And, it, and this is how the fly fishing industry and the fly fishing world is. I mean, everybody, for the most part, is, is really cool. Everybody likes each other, and we get along, and everybody wants to go fly fishing with each other. It's just, it's just fishing, man. Having a good time with everybody. It's great.
1: For you, when you look back at your life, what do you feel like has been most formative for you? As a captain, an angler, a guide, holistically, what's been the most formative
2: force in your life? Probably um, working really hard to get my master certified casting instructor's license. That's been the biggest change in my whole life. I think I can look back now and say that 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 has uh, allowed me to do a lot of what I've done. Also, a lot of the work in the industry I've done, too. I really like that, too. I've done a ton of work with a lot of the manufacturers. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the industry and had relationships with them for, for 25, 30 years now too. And it's been great. Uh, learning how important relationships are in life and um, knowing people and working with people and bringing joy to, to everybody is, uh, through fishing has been uh, really fulfilling.
1: Yeah. Well, I've, I've loved just getting a chance to learn. I mean, you're, you're talking about leaders and how you think through leaders, how you think through fly lines, what matters, what matters more than people understand all these different things uh, that, that are really you know an attention to detail that I think add up in the end to make these big differences do you have any advice on how people like if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking I want to I want to go to the next level of my fly fishing I want to pay more attention to what I'm doing do you have a certain direction you'd want to point them or, or, or give them advice as they do that
2: well uh, try your best to try to learn about um... Casting fly lines and leaders and creating a system that works best for you because Over the years so it all started out back when I first started guiding I I noticed that guys were having a hard time making casts because we're we're fishing for permit quite a bit and and permit and the keys you need usually you need a little bit of longer leader because they're spooky so uh, casting a longer leader is a little more challenging and then we'd throw a heavier fly too, right? So, so the permit fly, crab flies would dive and get down. So they were a little bit heavier and bulkier. So those are two major no-nos when you're trying to learn how to cast or trying to be a good caster, is trying to uh, throw something heavy and with a long leader, right? So I always found myself having to um, grab the, the rod, the system that the angler brought with them and cast it myself and see what it was like. And almost always I would have to adjust something i would have to cut half the front taper off the fly line or i'd have to upload the um, upline the fly line or, or actually maybe even put a, a, a fly line size down on a rod depending on what rod it was and the casting stop and how spooky the fish were and everything so i was constantly making adjustments to tackle and made me learn a lot about how the different rods and the different lines and the different leaders that were on the market mm-hmm. made a big difference as far as the uh, angler's ability to efficiently create tight loops and have control and so that led me to work with a guy by the name of Jim Tini at the time who this is uh, man back in like 1998-99 like um, where he owned a fly line company he, he started uh, sink tip lines with uh, scientific anglers he, he was the guy who started with Bruce Richards and I got a chance to work with uh, Jim Teenie, uh, Flip Palette had a professional series line with Teeny at the time. Lefty Cray did, uh, Gary Lafontaine, Dave Whitlock, um, Pat Ellers, all those guys. And uh, I was lucky enough that uh, I kept asking Jimmy. I go, Hey man, what, how come how come we don't have a, a permit line? Like, I got to take a tarpon taper and I got to cut the front taper off and I got to do all this stuff because I I can't get a six foot front taper to lay out straight with a 13 foot leader and a heavy fly. So I got to make all these adjustments. I go, How come we don't just make you know we got bonefish lines we got tarpon lines and everywhere where there's bonefish and tarpon there's permit mm-hmm. why don't we make a permit line that actually works and We don't have to spend all this time you know readjusting everything so he put me in charge of that and and uh i designed the the bruce chard um saltwater taper rotini at the time and we called it the permit line and it was so good that it worked great for bones and tarpon as well so we came out with a bonefish line and a tarpon line as well so all three um and then uh after a while, I ended up moving to Scientific Anglers and mm-hmm. working with them, and, and I designed the award-winning Grand Slam uh, taper that they have right now. And it, it actually, uh, in the Las Vegas IFTD show, he won an award for the best saltwater fly line in the year design, so that was really cool. And, uh, and then uh, I was with SA for a while until Orvis bought him out, and then uh, I worked with Tim Jeff at Airflow for five years. And uh, right away after signing up with Tim, we started the Tropical Punch, we started Tropical Punch line. And uh, within months, uh, the Tropical punch line outsold all the Airflow saltwater fly lines combined for six years straight. Wow. It was amazing. So it just worked good. And uh, the, the taper design was great and easy to, easy to fish with, uh, both for short distances and long distances. And it, it really enhanced the ability to get the uh, leader to lay out straight in the fly, mm. which we talked about earlier, is really important, Yeah. So especially at a short distance because it has a very short front taper with a large diameter head that transfers lots of energy right into the leader and allows that energy to transfer smoothly all the way to the fly quickly and get it lay out straight, which is really important. So having that uh, to work with over the years, too, has been really, uh, really fun. And uh, working on fly line designs and stuff like that has been great. So if it, if there's anything I could do to answer your question, it would be for anglers to, to learn about fly line taper design and how it works, how, how mm-hmm. does a front taper work and the diameter of the front end, why does that make a difference how long they are, and the belly and how thick the belly is and how many grams of weight are in it and all that jazz. It's a little technical, but once you understand that, you're going to really have a really good understanding why it's important to make sure that you have a good system, mm-hmm. rod, line, and leader set up it makes life really really good and and makes it easier for you to make an efficient cast uh i i would i would guess a lot of people that have saltwater setups right now don't know whether they have a setup that's optimal for their casting style or not they don't maybe maybe haven't tried different setups and stuff before but um usually on my trips i try to bring a bunch of extra fly lines because i've actually had guys in mexico one time almost get into a fight they were I, i let one of the guys borrow my rod and with my line and they liked it so much that (laughs) they wanted it. So I let them use it. And the other guy tried to take it and took it one day on purpose. And the other guy got all mad. Next thing you know, I didn't have an extra line and everybody's like, I want to use that line. So I'm like, Oh my. So I, I've learned to bring extra lines and make sure everybody's covered. (laughs) It's crazy, but no, it's been, it's been fun. So yeah, learning, learning lines and uh, tapers and, and leaders Mm -hmm. and how they all uh, work together and how they can then work against you. Is probably one of the most important things. Is I there
1: do. a book or a place that people can go to
2: easily access that outside of just? Well, the industry is getting better. There, there, uh, a lot of line companies now are starting to give uh, lots of information, give more information than they ever had before on the fly lines uh, um, with the graphs with easy to read measurements on how long each taper is and how much the grain weight is in each part section of the Mm -hmm. line. And if it's a compound taper and why and explaining the diameters of the running line and the diameters of the rear tapers and the diameters of the front taper, uh, all of which could potentially make a difference on how they set their rod and reel up. So, and then leader material two is coming a long way. They're starting to now put um, diameter uh, on the butt section of the leader in the packaging so you you can get a rough idea of how to try to uh, purchase a leader that will that will match if you will butt up nice to mm-hmm. the fly line connection and not create too big of a diameter difference during that connection where you're going to lose a lot of the power that you work really mm-hmm. hard to get into your system which would help you to get your line leader and fly layout straight so understanding all of that and how it all works together and how it can actually work against you mm-hmm. by not having it right is i think uh, a huge part becoming a do you like right. a
1: loop to loop or a nail knot? or?
2: So you, you could do, I wouldn't recommend a nail knot necessarily because the nail knots wrap around the fly line and pinch the coating off the core and it can slip. But if you close the nail knot off on the outside with a closing knot to lock that in, that works good too. There's a lot mm-hmm. of guys that like to use Albright sometimes too, mm-hmm. or, um, and loop-de-loop knots are good as well. So Do
1: they transfer energy as well? Yes, Interesting. 1, looking, 1,000%. Yeah. Because looking and at it, it. Here's the
2: problem, though. This has been a debate for a long time. Everybody thinks that a loop-to-loop connection uh, does not transfer energy smoothly, and it hinges. The loop has nothing to do with the hinge. It has to do with the diameter difference from the fly line connection to the leader. That's where you get the hinging. Mm-hmm. So if you were to loop the loop a correct um, diameter connection from your uh, fly line, to the butt section, it will not hinge on a loop knot or a nail knot or anything. It'll still hinge if you uh, have the butt section of your leader connection, if you nail knot it to the end of the fly line and the diameter difference is too big, Mm -hmm. you'll still hinge. So it's the diameter difference in the connection is what makes it hinge. And Mm -hmm. that could happen anywhere in the leader. That could happen in the connection between the fly line and the butt section. It could happen halfway down your leader if you drop right away. Mm -hmm. So whenever that's why I like tying my leaders personally where I have equal diameter breakdown um, uh, from each section of the leader all the way down to the fly, so it, the energy is contained mm-hmm. and travels smoothly all the way to the fly with no hinging effect all the way. So that's, I personally really like that.
1: Yeah, like you'll do a two pound drop or something like that per section, or mm,
2: it's not as much as a pound test thing because the
1: diam. I mean, yeah, the
2: mm-hmm. diameter. Yes, yeah. It has everything to do with diameter. Because in all reality, the pound test doesn't necessarily mean that much it's all Mm -hmm. about because if 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 we're talking we're saltwater guys we're talking about building a leader and we say well we want to go from 40 to 30 to 20 what we really mean is we want to taper down in size Mm -hmm. because if you look at some manufacturers their their 30 pound test might be the same as another company's 20 pound test diameter so if you don't actually look at the diameter and you just say i'm going to put some 30 to 20 you might not be doing anything yeah so you got to pay attention you got to pay attention because everybody's got different diameter size for sure. I mean, that's, that's a big difference.
1: That's super helpful. I mean, you know, we could sit here all day long and, and go through all the different details on on all of that. But um, my last question for you is if you could go back to yourself, heading down to the Keys, seeing these tail and bone fish at the very beginning, what advice would you give yourself?
2: <laughs> Don't use a uni knot as your loop knot for the first time you hook your first bone. I'll never forget <laughs> that one. I said, oh, I'll try this uni knot, it's a loop knot, this will be great, it'll slide right down to the hook, and I hooked this first bone, he took off, and the the hook, uh, the hook, knot broke right away, and I was heartbroken, because I did not actually catch a bonefish that first trip. Oh. I had a lot of shots, and opportunities, really, it was unbelievable, and I hooked the one, and I, I lost it, so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, that's timely advice. <laughs> yeah,
2: right, right, right.
1: Well, thanks so much for hanging out today and all the, all the instruction that you've given us hanging out around, around you. And I uh, really appreciate you for coming on the podcast, and it's been really great.
2: Well, right on, Hunter. Thanks for the time, and uh, I look forward to enjoyable dinner, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time on the flats.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy This is The Captain's Collective.
0: Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.
1: I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.